Amen, amen. Good morning. How are we doing this morning? Man, such an honor and delight always to be gathered together. Um, just grateful for these moments. You know, Hebrews 10, don't turn to it. Hebrews 10, 25. I was thinking about it as I was watching people come in, as I was watching the kids run around in the room. I was thinking about Hebrews 10, 25 that says, Do not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another. It's something so encouraging about gathering with all of uh, the believers. So I am grateful that you got up this morning. Uh, we don't get up for entertainment. We wouldn't have got ourselves dressed and brushed our teeth. Well, we would have brushed our teeth, uh, I think. Uh, wouldn't have got the kids ready and uh, did all that we did to get here. Took probably, Some people took connecting trains to get here. We would not have done that for entertainment, but we do that to worship and praise the Lord. That's why we come uh, to praise Christ's name. And so thank you for coming. Our first-time visitors, thank you. I want to give a special thank you to all of our first-time visitors. If this is the first time you've been here, we are grateful that you are here. You being here brings us great joy. Um, you could have chosen anywhere else to, to serve and, and to worship, but we're glad that you decided to come with us this morning. My name is Brandon Watts. I am the lead pastor here at this church plan to get the awesome privilege of serving here. It's a service that I have, I mean, given my life to gladly. This is not a, I'm not begrudging this. I am so grateful to be able to do what it is that we are doing. So again, thank you first time visitors for coming. Uh, we're glad that you are here. Listen, I hope you guys are coming to Brooklyn Bridge Park. Uh, it's a nice day outside. They got water sprinklers. I think they got food trucks out there if you didn't pack a lunch. It's B-Y-O-E. Bring your own everything. <laughs> everything. We're not providing nothing. Everybody, like, the only thing we're going to provide is community. So everything else you guys provide. But we want you guys to bring. If you don't have, trust me, come see us. We'll, we'll make sure you're taken care of. Everybody will eat today. Everybody will eat. So just make sure... Um, if you guys are going, we'd love, man, for you guys to hang out with us. If you've never been down to that area, it's, a, it's an amazing area. And this is just a good time for us to build and, and connect and to grow. You know, this thing is never, this thing never works if we're disconnected from community. If we just come, pop in for service, and then leave and never engage with anybody else, that's not how the Christian life is wired. It's wired to be connected with somebody else. We're not lone rangers. We're supposed to be in relationship with one another. So we're, we're hoping that you guys would come. The other thing I quickly wanted to announce, and Gabe announced it. Uh, by the way, it's on fleek. It's not fleek. It just sounds weird when you say it anyway. Shouldn't say it. On fleek. Anyway, uh, announcement uh, that, that I really want to make sure that I push out that was, that was said was our need for more people to, to serve, and uh, we have different strategic ministries that we've put into place for, um, for just for us to function, thank you, for us to function as a church, uh, really seven or eight different ministries we have. Can I just announce two that we really, really, really need help with? One of them is our children's ministry. Uh, we're going down a couple of people because of uh, surgeries and different things that are going on so there, and, and pregnancies, and everybody's pregnant, and everybody's giving birth. By the way, praise God for Victoria and, and Tyreek. Thank you for that clap. That gave me a moment to, to get a quick swig. Um, but we do need help in our children's ministry area. I don't know if you guys know this, but each week, 
we put kids in that room and they're not unengaged. It's not like romper room. They're not just running around. We're engaging them with the gospel. We're doing different activities with them. We never want to underestimate the power of a young mind and uh, the opportunity to be able to pour the gospel into them at a young age. I never want them to grow up and say, man, I went to church but never heard the gospel. No, they hear it every single week, just like we hear it every single week in this room. Um, But we need more volunteers. We need more workers. We need more people to jump in. And if you're looking and trying to figure out what way you can serve, that is a great way. So if you're interested, please see uh, this beautiful woman that is walking in. (laughs) Amen. Please see Ty, if you're interested at all in serving in the children's ministry area, please see Ty. We really need your help. This is me saying we really need your help. The other one is set up and break down. You guys know we are a portable church, so that means we literally take the church and bring it into this uh, room. I say it all the time, but there's couches, there's tables, there's a bar that sits right here. Um, And so to transform this room into a worship space is a lot of work. And so we need more people uh, to be able to join into, um, you know, serving in terms of setup and breakdown. So if you're interested, see Daryl Bell right here in the front with the beard, the bearded one. (laughs) See him and we can uh, we can get you plugged into that. So those are just two. Of course, if you have a gifting in a certain media hospitality, that's your gifting. That's how you're wired. We want you to do that as well. But If you're just figuring out where can I serve, where can I plug in, those are two really good areas to do, uh, to do ministry. So um, please help us out in those areas. Uh, We're jumping back in our series this morning, The Bride of Christ. We have been talking about different aspects of what the church is. I see you guys pulling out those phones and those Bibles. And so uh, if you'll meet me in Psalms 100 is where we'll be this morning. Um, Through this series, it's been really good to just unpack what the church is and what the church is is not taking off the table our expectations, what we think about church, uh, our consumeristic mindset as it comes to church. I mean, we diagnose through the scriptures, all of us have a, some type of uh, consumeristic, how does the church serve me at, at, uh, attitude. But as we talked about koinonia uh, last month, and we talked about how that's joint participation, how we're bringing something to the church, how we want to come and say, man, how can I plug a need, man? How can I fill a need? How can I help? Um, That's what church is. I'm realizing through this series, I don't know if you guys are, I'm realizing through this series, man, that I really genuinely, genuinely love the church. I just do. I love the universal church. God's body is all of Christ's believers all across this world. I love the church, but I love the local church. It's so important. And as much as we want to push against community, we need the church. We need community. And so I I am grateful for the church. But I also realized through the last few weeks, I've also realized that Jesus loves the church way more than I do. Way more than I, so much so that he went and died for it. And so we've been talking about how the church is wired, church government, stewardship, um, many different aspects of the church. And so today I want to talk about worship, worship, expressive worship, in the service. I love that Felicia said, we're a quiet church, but if you guys can help us sing this song, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Um, Man, that is exactly what I want to talk about today, how we can be expressive in our worship and how the scripture calls us to that. So if you guys could turn to Psalms 100, if you're there, can you just say amen? Amen. All right, Psalms 100. Let me, uh, let me read, let me pray, and then we can, uh, we can dive in. Psalms 100 says this, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. 
Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Verse 4, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generation. Again, I want to preach from the topic entitled Expressive Worship. Let's pray. Lord, we are truly grateful that we have your word. Your word is a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. We literally have no clue what the next step is outside of reading your word. We're lost. We're unfocused. Um, we, we just have no clue what direction to go. And we pray that your word would light that path for us today. Burn something deep in our hearts as we talk about worshiping you. What does that look like? Why should we do it? And, and even who are you that we should worship? Pray that you would enlighten this text to us today as we walk through it. Help me to be faithful to it. And I pray uh, that we would receive a sound Fresh word from on high today. It's in Christ's name we give glory. Amen. Amen. Expressive worship. Uh, I was reading a book called Let the Nations Be Glad. No, I don't know if you ever read that book. It's by a guy named John Piper. He's the pastor of uh, Bethlehem Church in Minnesota. It's an incredible book. It talks about mission and it talks about worship. And within this book, he's really drawing a distinction between the church being missional and the church being a church that worships He says this in the book. He says, mission is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Mission exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not mission, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. In other words, what he is saying is there is a point in time where there's no more need for missions. You know, every other week we set up a, the coffee outside and we'll try to engage people. We're pushing you guys to be missional, uh, missional living and be in your neighborhoods and talk about the gospel. You realize at some point that needs to stop. There's no need. Like, we're not setting up a table of coffee outside of heaven's gates. We're not doing that. We don't, there's no need to even share the gospel in heaven. And so at some point, missions stops. Being a missionary, going overseas will be no more. We don't need to do that. But you know what doesn't stop? Worship. Worship never stops. And so worship is eternal. It's, eternity is a long time. So we'll be worshiping Jesus for a long time. We should practice what worship looks like now. I know some of you are like, well, I'm calm and I'm cool. I'm collective. I, I want to challenge you today based on what the scripture says about worship in terms of expressive worship. The text today, the subscription above my Bible, I don't know if you guys have uh, ESV Bibles. I, I usually read from an ESV. The subscription above my text says a psalm for giving thanks. That's what worship is. Worship is us giving thanks. In fact, this is the only psalm Out of the 150 psalms, this is the only one that has that subscription. Now, this isn't the only text that tells us to give thanks in the the book of Psalms, but the writer seems to suggest that the way we worship, this is a model for giving thanks, and that is through complete worship to the Lord. Psalms 100 is a popular verse. It's only to be rivaled by Psalm 23, which is another popular verse, but this psalm has been read through Um, Through weddings, this song has been read through joyous occasions. It's usually read to call worship, to start worship services. Very powerful song. But I want to walk through really seven 
um, distinctives or characteristics or orders. I would even go so far as to say these are commands to what worship looks like. It's seven of them, and, and I pray that you would be able to jump in and catch it with us. So let's Consider the passage together. You guys know how we do. It's five verses. We're going to go through each and every verse and pray that the Lord uh, would meet us in each one of them. Look at verse number one. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. I want, I want to point out really quickly the word joyful. Notice it doesn't say make a happy noise to the Lord. Happiness is fleeting. Happiness is based on events or based on people Happiness is not an internal joy of the Lord. It is very fleeting. It's based on what happens. So I can be happy that I got a car. I can be happy that I got a new house. I can be happy that I got a new job. But what happens when the car gets repossessed? What happens when the house gets foreclosed or you get evicted from the house? What happens when you get that pink slip? Do we still do pink slips or we just, we just call people in now and say, you're out, you know, you're fired? What happened? Text them. That's, that's a horrible way to fire somebody through a text. Don't come in today. In fact, don't come in ever. So what happens when those things happen? We can lose happiness. The scripture does not point out to us to make a happy noise. It says make a joyful noise. Joy is not people-centered. It's not event-centered. It's not thing-centered. It's God-centered. And because it's God-centered, God doesn't change. God doesn't shift. He's not, he's not unstable. He's not sometimey. God is not bipolar. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And so because he is consistent, our joy can be consistent. So the scripture tells us today to make a joyful noise. Some of us just make noise. We don't make a joyful noise. We just make a noise. And sometimes making a noise, we think that we're actually making a joyful noise, but we're actually being unfruitful, in vain, and unproductive when I go to the, to the store, anybody that knows me knows I love melons. I love watermelons. I love cantaloupe. I love honey melon dew. I remember years ago in Jersey going to a shop right, and an old lady saw me trying to pick out melons, and I'm just squeezing them, and she says, uh-uh, uh-uh, baby, that's not how you, you pick those out. Let me show you. And she picks it up, and y'all know what she does to that melon, right? She knocks on it, right? She clicks it because she wants it. Y'all didn't know that? Yeah. Okay. That's how you really check a melon. You knock on it, and you want to hear how hollow it is. And so sometimes noise is just like locking on a melon. It's just hollow. I went to visit a, a, a building to, not too far as we're looking for bigger space for ourselves. And I was trying to figure out if this wall could be knocked down so that we can extend a, a room. And so I'm knocking on the wall, trying to find what part has beams in it and what part is hollow. I knew which one was hollow by which knock made the loudest noise. And so sometimes making noise is just hollow. But the scripture doesn't tell us to just make a hollow noise. The scripture says, make a joyful noise. Y'all remember that movie, uh, American Gangster, with Denzel, a.k.a. Frank Lucas? Remember the scene where they're in a, in, a, in a party and his brother has, like, they're making all this money, so his brother has on these flashy clothes, and he pulls them aside. He's like, what do you have on? Puts them in the mirror. What, what is this that you have on? And then he says to him, he says, you know, the loudest one in the room is the weakest one. And so the scriptures isn't calling you to just make noise. It's saying make a joyful noise, not just a noise, but make a joyful one. Now, in our text, in the English language, this is broken up into four different words, right? Make a joyful noise. In the original Hebrew, this was one word, and it meant shout. One word is what it was, shout. So this doesn't mean whisper. This doesn't mean be calm. This doesn't mean be quiet. Now, I know you're like, well, that's just not my upbringing. 
That's not my, my disposition. That's not my character. Character. That's not my culture. We're just quiet. We can worship and meditate. And I'm not saying anything's wrong with that. But at some point, we need to shout to the Lord, a, a loud cry to the Lord. That's what the scripture tells us today is to make a joyful noise. One word, shout, a triumphant shout. This is what this word is what they would have used when they won a battle. When they won a battle, they would shout. They would make a joyful noise. And has our king not won a battle on our behalf? We tend to look at the one in worship that is worshiping loudly or expressively. We tend to look at him as though he's weird. You know who's really weird? The one that knows that the wrath of God that was due to him has passed him, yet we sit quiet in service. Yet we sit quiet when we're home. You ought to be vacuuming your house, worshiping the Lord, crying out to the Lord because our king has been victorious. So this is a battle cry. This is, this is not quiet. This is not somber. This is not sad. This is not like a funeral. But this is a joyous occasion anytime we get together. So if you want to use the excuse, well, I don't have to worship. It's just not who I am. Look at what the text says. The text says in verse number one, it says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Note the word all. None of us have an excuse. All of us should be worshiping the Lord. This is, I mean, our mama taught us that at a young age. If somebody does something nice for you, you say thank you. Our king has done something amazing more than, any, more than anything else that anybody else could have done. And so we should worship the Lord. Scripture says shout all. When I looked up this word all, because I really wanted to know, like, what is the depth of what does all actually mean? Is this all people? It does mean that, but it means, when I looked it up, it means the whole, everyone, everybody. And here's the interesting thing. Everything worships the Lord. Do you know that all of creation screams at the praise of our King Jesus Christ? All of creation. Do you guys remember that story in Luke chapter 19 where Jesus is having this dialogue with the disciples, uh, with the Pharisees over the disciples worshiping him? I don't know if you guys remember that story. I'm going to turn to it real quick. Scripture talks about how he's making a triumphant uh, entry into Jerusalem. And as he's making this entry, this is what the scripture says. It says, and when they had said these things, he went on ahead of them, going up into Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he said to two of his disciples, go into the village in front of you where you are entering and you will find a coat tied to it. No one has ever sat on this coat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying this colt? You should say to them, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away went and found it just as he has told them. And they said, and, and they were untying the colt. And the owner of the colt said, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And then they brought it to Jesus. First of all, I love that. Like Jesus says, told them what to do. They go to, the, to this colt. They don't even ask the owner. They just start untying the colt. The owner says, what are you doing? And they said, the master has need of it. And he says, okay. Like, that's the craziest thing to me. Like, imagine that in your own life. This shows the authority of Jesus. But watch this. It says, in throwing their cloaks over the colt, they sat on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks. This is what I wanted to get to. And he was drawing near Already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude and his disciples begin to rejoice and praise God. Here it is again with a loud voice for all 
mighty, for all the mighty works that he had, for they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Now, remember when I said everything worships Jesus, not just people. These Pharisees said, Jesus, you need to rebuke your boys because they're screaming out and they're too loud. They're screaming out. Look at what Jesus' answer was to them. I tell you, if these were silent, these very stones would cry out. So in other words, if we don't worship Jesus in here, the rocks outside, those little purple flower pots outside will start to worship Jesus. Everything in creation is booby, is wired to, to worship Jesus Christ. Everything. And so when the scripture says all the earth, it's not just talking about people, but it's talking about, it's talking about everything. Let's go to verse number two. It says... Verse number one, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Verse number two, serve the Lord with gladness. The emphasis here is on serve. Serving is talking about you being a participant, an active participant in worship. This doesn't mean that you just come like you're not worshiping Jesus just because you came to church. Just because you come doesn't mean you actually worship, but you you have to actually be involved in active participant in worship, many of us don't want to be an active participant. We just want to come. We just want to be a part. We just want to check it off of our, we did our good thing this week. We went to service. We went to worship today. But did you actually worship the Lord while you were in service? So the scripture says serve, but it doesn't just say serve. Jesus did not just command us to serve, but he commands our attitude within the service. The scripture says serve with gladness. It doesn't say serve with complaint, serve with questions, serve with attitude, but it tells us to serve with gladness. How many of you are glad to come to church today to worship Jesus? I mean, genuinely glad to worship Jesus through corporate worship. And so this isn't a mechanical or a routine. I'm not just coming here to do this thing, but I'm actually coming to make sure I give the Lord worship. I want to be an active participant. Look at the B part of that. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Like, let, do you know how crazy that is? That the scripture just said that you're allowed to come into his presence? Do you understand the massive nature of that? Let, let me put this into perspective for you because maybe you don't understand how huge that is. Do you realize that we are sinful people? Like, you just got invited. By a holy God, you got a divine invitation to come into his presence. Like the priest in the Old Testament would go into the temple, would go into the holies of holies one time a year on Yom Kippur. They would make that sacrifice and try to get out of his presence as quick as possible. But the scripture just told us to come into his presence. Now, I have to reconcile this in my mind, if I'm honest with you, because in my mind, I'm reading this and I'm saying, wait a second, but I'm sinful. It's a a doctrinal term called totally depraved. You are, there's nothing good in you. Like you're tainted, you're infected by sin. Why? Because it was passed down from your father, from his father, from his father, all the way back to Adam. So all of us in here have this inherited sin, not just because we are sinful, because we act on it, but because internally we're infected by sin. But Jesus, the, the Lord God that has called you into his presence, invited you into his presence, 
is absolutely opposite of that. Like, do you understand how big this is that the holiness of God, like the holiness of God, the scary part about it is not just that your sin is an offense to him, which it is. It's a gross offense to him because he's holy. But even our righteousness has to be repented of. The good that you do has to be repented of. Even that compared to a holy God is absolutely sinful. So here we have a holy God that's giving you a divine presence through worship to come into his presence. And we sit and we think like, that's cool. Like angels wouldn't even just come up in his presence like that. And when you look at angels in the Bible, they weren't this cute little cupid with wings. That's not an angel. When an angel would appear in the Bible, people would drop down in straight fear. But angels, which were scary beings for us as humans, wouldn't come into the presence of God like that. They'd come in hiding their face. Like they wouldn't come in to the Trinity and be like, yo, what's up, Jesus? God, yo, it's good to see you, man. Yo, spirit, pass me a beer, man. Let's sit down and watch this game. That's not how angels would have entered into the presence of God. They would have entered covering their face because they couldn't look at the holiness of God. Do you remember Moses when Moses tried to look? He said, can I see your face in Exodus 33? Can I see your face? What was God's response? No man can see me and live. You want to see me? You can't see me and live. Why? Because we are absolutely unholy, but God is holy. I want to read this verse to you, 1 Timothy 6.16. It says, he dwells in unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see. Do you know what that means? That he dwells in a light that you're, you're not allowed in. So the question I have on the table is how in the world do we fulfill this scripture of coming into his presence when we're sinful and God is holy? Jesus answers the question for us. The only way we're even able to come into the presence of God to fulfill this verse is because of Jesus Christ. Why? Because the sin that was on you the sin that you committed yesterday, last night, this morning, the one that you'll commit next week, then 10 years from now, 40 years from now, if the Lord graces you to be on the earth, those sins were absolutely covered 2,000 years ago on a cross. And because of that, you now have a divine invitation not to just come, but you can walk up boldly to the presence of God because of Christ. I dare you to go before the presence of God based on your own merit. Go with your list. I want you to do it. Write a list out of all of your good deeds and check them off and go to the Lord and be like, I did this. You will be crushed. You'll be crushed. The only way we get to be able to fulfill this verse of coming into his presence is through Jesus Christ. And so we get to walk in and fulfill this verse and say, Jesus, this is my ticket. We have an office downtown uh, right off of Flatbush. And to get into the building, you literally need a, a key card. You can't get in without the key card. You can buzz. And even if you do get in the building, we're on the fourth floor, so you can take the elevator up. You can't get into the fourth floor without this key card. That is what Jesus is to us. He is our all-access pass to get into the presence of God. We're able to just mosey right into his presence. But the, uh, so here's, here's the thing about it, though. There, there's this, this story of... Um, uh, a, a guy named Raymond Edmond, he's the fourth uh, president of Wheaton College, talks about how he preached this very passage 
I pray that this doesn't happen to me before the end of the sermon, but he preaches this passage and literally drops dead as he's preaching it, literally. And you can look this up, fourth president of Wheaton College. Before he drops dead, he talks about how he got an invitation to, uh, to, to meet with the king of Ethiopia. And he goes to meet with the king of Ethiopia. And as he goes to meet with him, his servant said, you have to do this. You have to stand this way. You have to sit this way. You have to bow this way. All of these stipulations in order to get into the presence of the king of Ethiopia. Yet the king of kings just invited you to come on in. Like, think of that. The king of all creation, the one that's the king of the king of Ethiopia, just invited you on into his presence. But he gives us one stipulation based on the text. Look at what the text says. It says, come into his presence with what? That's the only way to come in. You got to come worshiping. Don't come complaining. Don't come asking questions. Don't come talking. You got to come in with a song on your lips. Now, I know you're like, well, I don't sing like that. And that's cool. God, he's not bothered by your lack of not being on tone. You don't got to be Tashina to come into his presence. You can come right on in with a bad note and he still accepts you. He still accepts us. And so this is, this is a powerful, I don't want to run past this verse and be like, man, he just said, come into his presence. Like we've read this before, right? And we just swing, swing right by it. Come into his presence. Cool. Like, do you understand the magnitude of that? Come into his presence. One stipulation. You got to come in worshiping. You got to come in, which also shows us the importance of worship music. That's why we sing five. We don't sing one. We don't sing two. We sing five songs about Jesus every Sunday. Why? Because the scripture tells us to come into his presence with singing. That's why we do it. That's why we do it every Sunday. We don't sing a song with a bunch of personal pronouns, you know, enlarge my territory. It's about me. No, it's about Jesus. And so every single song we want to worship him, that's how we get to come into his presence. He says, come on in. Come with singing. Based on the righteousness of Jesus, come on in singing. Now, this invitation isn't for a non-believer. You can't just walk up into the presence of God without the righteousness. You need that ticket to get in. And Jesus Christ is that ticket for us. Let's keep going. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Verse number three, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And so the scripture now points us within worship Worship isn't check your mind at the door. Do you realize that this scripture is is telling us that he, the Lord, he is God? So worship is intelligent. You must use your mind within worship. There's nothing more dangerous than being able to come in unfruitful, not even thinking about the Lord, not even worship literally means to ascribe worth. How can you ascribe worth to a being you don't know? Scripture just says he is God. He's almost building on this this thought from Psalms 99, which is the chapter before this one. It says in verse number five, the Lord, our God, verse number eight, our Lord, our O Lord, our God, verse number nine, Lord, our God. So he's building on this theme. By the time he gets to chapter 100, verse number three, he says, know that he is the Lord. He is God. And so if he is the if he is God, that means you're not. Can, can we just be like, I want to put that out there because you know how many of us operate as though we are God? Like, we're, we're so prone to wanting to be our own gods. We would rather think that we evolved from monkeys than to believe that a God intelligent being created us. 
I'm not saying you in here. I'm saying that's what our culture says. Man, it's evolution. But the scripture just says he is God. And not only is he God, but we can worship him because he is our creator. Do you see the verse? Do you see the text? Verse number three, it is he who has made us and not we ourselves. The psalmist here is being explicit as it relates to who made you. In other words, you're not God because you were created. Gods aren't made. Now, some of you may be putting your stock. Our, we, we may be mixed in our worship. We may worship the Lord, but we worship a whole bunch of other stuff. We worship creation, where the scripture just said God created everything. We worship creation instead of worshiping him. Some of you worship your boo. Like, you worship that dude. Like, let me just tell you right off the bat, men make horrible gods. I mean, we just do. There's, if I try to be your God, you will, you'll be offended by today. I was going to say tomorrow. The next few minutes, you'll be offended. Men make horrible gods. Money makes horrible God. Doesn't make a good God at all. But the scripture is clear. It's God. He alone. He doesn't sit on a board of other gods. He's not on a council of other gods. He's not that. He and he alone is God. You and I are not God. We are creation. This is not the quatrinity. We don't need the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and you. Like it's three seats and they're all well taken. So we don't, we don't need another God. Let's just worship the one that we have. He is God. And so the scripture says, tells us, man, don't worship materialistic stuff. Don't worship your degree. Don't worship your job. Don't worship what you drive. Don't worship where you live. These things are idols in our life, and the scripture is so clear. Listen, man, he made you. And if he made you, he's worthy of the worship. Worthy of the worship. Let me, let me, let me just be honest with you guys about as it relates to creation. Because, you know, one of the questions I often get is, man, do you really believe everything in the Bible? Like, I understand believing some parts of it. But do you really believe, like, a man was swallowed by a fish and not digested for three days? You believe that? Like, people will try to jam me up with that. You know what I always do? I always go back to Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Why can I bank on that verse? Because if I truly believe, as we talk about creating, if I truly believe that God created everything, of course I believe that a fish that God created can swallow a man without digesting him. Well, the digestive system works like this. Did God not just say in Genesis 1-1 that he created the digestive system? Yes, I believe that a fire was cooled down for three Hebrew boys. Absolutely believe it. Why? Because the scripture tells me in Genesis 1-1 that God created. And so if God creates, even you, even your situation, maybe you walked in here with a crazy situation. Maybe you got a lot on your plate right now. Do you realize that God, if you have it on your plate, God allowed it? He create, he's okay with it? Like, be, have comfort in that. He's not surprised at it. He's not blaming Jesus for not dying for it. He's not, he's not saying, Spirit, why didn't you worry you at? I didn't know this was going on. He's not surprised. He's created all things. And so he is the one that should be worshipped. Let's keep going. Verse number four. Another invitation, right? We, said we, were, we were told that we could come into his presence. Watch the second invitation we get. Verse number four. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. You were just told that you're allowed to enter into his gates. Again, we get another stipulation with thanksgiving. It says thanks again in this verse. And enter into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. 
Twice we see thanksgiving and we see thanks. So in other words, the focal point of what this verse is saying is that real worship is you coming in being thankful to God. That's what worship is. That's what the scripture is telling us today. But pastor, you don't know what I'm dealing with. You don't you telling me to enter into his gates with thanksgiving, enter into his courts with praise. Like how in the world am I supposed to do that based on what I'm going through? But then even the end of the scripture says and bless his name. Like this is what Job did. Do you have more on your plate than Job had on his plate? Like in, in Job one, it talks about Job having all of this money and he was praising, worshiping and blessing the Lord. By the time you get to the end of chapter one, he's lost almost everything except his health. And in chapter two, he that gets struck. But yet Job says the Lord gives and he takes away. And he says this verse, blessed be the name of our Lord. So it doesn't matter what you're going through. That's not an excuse for us this morning. You could come in with a heavy burden and a heavy load. Scripture says, worship him, give thanks, bless his name. You can do that even though you're going through something horrendous. And so essentially what, what we've seen so far is seven commands. We were told to shout. We were told to serve. We were told to come, come into his presence. No, we're told to enter. We're told to give thanks and we're told to bless his name. That is what worship is all about. Those commands, that's what makes worship. And so I pray that you are rocking along as we're talking about what worship is. Look at verse number five, our final verse. It says, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. We get three distinctives in this verse. Three distinctives. So, so far we were told how to worship. We were told who to worship, and now we're being told why we should worship. Look at the three distinctives it gives us on, on why we should worship. Verse, verse number five, it says, for the Lord is good. That's the first reason why you should worship him, because he's good. Like some of you sitting in this room right now, the stuff that you've gone through, you should be plumb crazy. You should be out of your mind. You should be depressed. You should be home with the covers over your head. Just the fact that you're here is a testament to the goodness of our king. The Lord is good. First reason why you should worship him, simple, because he's good. Look at the second reason, because his steadfast love endures forever. The original language for steadfast love is hissed. It means loyal love. In other words, the Lord didn't love you when you did well and not love you when you didn't do well. He's, it's loyal love. He loves you when you're dysfunctional. He loves you when you're a mess. When you can't get it together, he loves you even then, even in our salvation. What does Romans 5, 8 say? It says, why, he says, the Lord loved us, showed his love for us that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. Like in the middle of your sin, he did not wait for you to get it together. He didn't wait for some future you, some of us have in our mind, man, the Lord will love some future me. The one that prays more, the one that sings and worships, the one that gets up early and, and really does a, a really extensive devotional, the one that actually loves community, loves to be involved in people's lives, that one he's in love with, not me. But Romans 5, 8 says, no, 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 no. While you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. And then this verse tells us, hesed, steadfast, loyal love. That Get that on your mind. The creator of the universe loves you. 
You know how many of us struggle with being loved? Maybe your father abandoned you. Maybe your mother abandoned you. But the scripture tells us, listen, God doesn't abandon us. God's not, he's not bipolar. He's not schizophrenic. He doesn't love you one day and tomorrow he doesn't love you. I mean, read through the rest of the Psalms. Look at David. David, I mean, sometimes he looks like he's like a roller coaster. Like sometimes he's like, man, Lord, your, your word is like honey on my lips. In the very next verse, he'll be like, Lord, where are you? Like he seems like he's out of his mind. And the Lord doesn't love him based on whether he's high or whether he's low. Listen, said, loyal love. The Lord loves you. Why should we worship him? Because he loves you despite the fact that you're dysfunctional. Despite the fact that your heart is wicked, despite the fact that you can't seem to get it together, you can't conquer and overcome that sin, yet the Lord says, no, 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 no. I don't just love you. I don't just tolerate you. I don't just like you. said, it's loyal love. It's steadfast. It's continual. Nothing breaks my love. Can I be honest with you guys? Listen, if you trusted Jesus, and I mean genuinely put your faith in Jesus, you're living in a, in a way that you are under the, under the submission of the Lord Jesus Christ, if that is you, there's no way the Lord will stop loving you. The best proof we have is through the cross. Like, you need no more proof that the Lord loves you than the cross, that he would send his only son. So why we should worship him? Because he's good. Why we should worship him? Because of his steadfast love, and not just his love, but it endures forever. That's what the scripture says. And then... The third reason why we should love him, because of his faithfulness to all generations. He's been faithful to you, not just to you, but faithful to your mama, faithful to, if you have kids, faithful to your kids. I was sitting yesterday, we went and visited Victoria and, uh, and Tyreek, and I was sitting, Victoria's mother was there, Victoria was there, of course, and uh, baby Maddox was there. So I'm sitting there looking at three generations, and I said, I was like, man, this verse came to mind. I'm like, the Lord has been faithful not just to you, not just to you, not just to you, but all generations. So why should we worship him? Because he's good. Because hesed, because of loyal love. Why else? Because his faithfulness endures forever. He's faithful even when you're not. Like, do you get that? This is 2 Timothy 2, 13. Even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. That's what the scripture says. He remains faithful when you can't get it together. That's why we should worship him. And so I don't know where you are in terms of expressive worship. This is a worship check for us this morning. None of us should sit, should sit through worship and not engage, not be involved, not cry out, not call out to the Lord. Why? Because the scriptures command us to do this. It doesn't just tell you to do. In fact, verse nine, uh, chapter 98 Verse number four says the same thing. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all ye earth. Break forth in joyous song and sing praises over and over and over. Again, the scripture tells us, listen, worship Jesus. Don't just worship him quietly. Worship him loud. And so my prayer and my hope today, as we talk about the bride of Christ, as we talk about the churches, that we wouldn't be so mission focused that we lack worship. We have to worship. Did you hear what John Piper said? Mission only exists because worship doesn't. Let's not be a church that's not worshipful. That's not thankful. That's not grateful for the faithfulness of our God. Let's pray. Father, we are, we, we are, we are really rocked by, by your word, that you invited us into your presence. Like you inviting us into your presence is something that angels wish they could do. 
you inviting us to your presence is something that the Old Testament priests wish they could do without the fear of dropping dead in your holiness. But you've just given us a divine invitation. Father, we've got invites to go to barbecues and we're more happy. We've got invites to go to parties and to go to concerts and we're more happy. But Father, you've invited creation to join into your presence. Father, we thank you for Jesus this morning for that. Only possible because of him. Father, help us to be more expressive in our worship. I mean, in our heart, we genuinely do love you. It's not like we don't love you. In our minds, we genuinely do love you. Help that to turn into an audible thank you because you've been that good. Are you not worthy of us screaming out to you on how good you are? I pray that you would bless us individually to be worshipers, but corporately let this place be marked by worshipers of Jesus Christ. And let us call out. Be with us for the remainder of our gathering. Even as we move into another worship song, I pray that you would move on our hearts in a way that we can worship you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.